Hey, it's Seeking Plum. So you know, if you've been listening, that I'm reading the book Deviate by Bo Lotto. So there's a lot to unpack here, but we're going to look at the adaptation of the brain. I'm not going to get into the science that he covered or the science that he did himself, but to make it very succinct, basically use it or lose it. As a major oversimplification, the brain needs a rich environment because it's constantly adapting. Lotto puts it this way, the brain matches its environment, both for good and for bad. The cerebral cortex becomes more complex in an enriched environment or less complex in an impoverished environment. He also says, the brain doesn't always want soft foam toys. It needs to learn that it can stand back up after having been knocked down, and in doing so, become more resilient, both immediately and in the long term. Okay, we have that set. Now, he says, culture itself is simply another product of the brain, a collective manifestation of thought and behavior. So it too grows and adapts through challenges. Later, he says, not only does the human brain change, the collective cultural brain does as well. Both are constantly redefining, quote, normal and creating a new normal every second. So elsewhere, he talks about how as our brain changes, we are affecting our ecology or our environment. But as we do that, then our environment or ecology is also changing us, our brain. It's kind of like this cycle. And obviously, culture is a part of that. Finally, he says, not only must we adapt, but ironically, sometimes the best change is learning how not to change, which in itself is a challenging exercise for your brain. Okay, so many thoughts. So you often hear me refer to my friend with the double PhD, Dr. Trisha. When she works with elite poker players, she's essentially using this concept that Lada's talking about, affecting your environment to affect your brain. They want to incorporate new habits to reach goals, but they're having difficulties having them stick, so she helps them create strategies, tying the new task to something you do on a regular basis already. While that example shows this cycle in action, we have to turn to other scenarios of when we might not want to change. So for instance, when you first meet somebody and then you fall for them, there are certain characteristics that you find particularly unique, sets them apart from everyone else, that makes you think, that's my person. I want to spend more time with them. I want to know more about them. They are exceptional and they make me better. But the more time that is spent together, the more we begin to just see them as they're normal. Not necessarily normal with respect to everyone else, but it's their personal normal. Then we begin to take them for granted. Lotto says it's about shifting it back to or, or maintaining a larger framework slash perspective. So instead of seeing this as their personal normal, seeing them as their uniqueness within the crowd. That's why it's important to incorporate new things, not necessarily to do them, but so that internally perception is shifted just a little bit. It keeps the mind engaged. This next one is a bit more grand in scale and more layered. So when to change and when not. 
for the most part, the practice of owning men, women, and children is a thing of the past. Most people consider it abhorrent. There has been some adaptation of thought and belief. That's not to say it doesn't still happen in parts of the world, or that people still wish it, wished it did, but culturally speaking, for the most part, we've adapted. But more shifts are happening, and happening quickly. As one example, Bill Clinton was impeached after one consensual interaction. Our current president had 13 women come forward, yet he was elected into office. What we once expected or even determined was acceptable or not uh, worthy of expulsion has shifted. Previously, we've talked about the fluidity of language. Now, even certain new words and phrases have been bastardized, taken on new meaning. An easy target slash example of this would be the phrase fake news. Now, it doesn't mean what it meant when it was first used. Another one is safe spaces. I think that they have a place whenever there is a shifting from one cultural belief to another, because there is that period of time of transition. And there can be a lot of tension and unease during that time. However, if you push it to an extreme, then the safe space essentially becomes a soft padded room for the brain. And it grows accustomed to this impoverished environment and loses resiliency. This phrase was new to me, but not the concept, tone policing. Essentially, soften your tone or change the way you're presenting it so that you will be heard or so that you can keep the peace. But to me, this creates a virtual padded uh, safe space with no room for introduction of conflict or anything like that. There's no room for the brain to adapt, no room for a change in perception. Essentially, everyone should suppress their thoughts and speak softly. But that creates multiple problems. The prospective powder keg ready to blow. Also, the group that is speaking up and is not uh, countered in any way is basically getting free reign, which might be fine, but what if those ideas need to be challenged? Or at the very least, highlighted? And if they're not, and they are allowed to run rampant or to grow, what are the consequences of that? All of these things affect our cultural brain, which affect our individual brains. It's this cycle, and it's happening every single second, redefining a new normal. At this very moment, I see a dire future, but I think we have to pause and ask ourselves, what do we want for the future? Not just as individuals, but for our culture, our society. And where do we want to end up individually? Because these are tied together. Who do we want to be? Because if we don't think about that now, where will we be down the line? Yes, slavery is a thing of the past, but what could be in our future if we don't address things now?